Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. These stories contain distressing themes and often brief descriptions of violence against others or animals. This content is not suitable for children and listener discretion is advised. On the morning of Sunday the 6th of October 1974, the streets were quiet as church bells rang for morning services in the small market town of Osset near Barnsley in West Yorkshire. There had always been a high proportion of churches for such a small place, and with a population of around 17,000 highly religious people, there was no shortage of places or styles of worship. From the large Anglican congregations to the smaller, flourishing spiritualist churches, Osset had become a well-known hotspot for spiritualism and religious nonconformism. So as townsfolk rushed into their mid-morning services, the local police received a call. There was a naked man wandering around the streets screaming and covered in what appeared to be red paint. As West Yorkshire PC Ian Walker approached the Cock and Bottle pub in the patrol car, he saw a man curled up on the ground in the fetal position. As he approached, he realised it was not red paint as he was led to believe. It was blood. Although distressed and incomprehensible, the man didn't appear injured. When PC Walker asked whose blood it was, the man, writhing around, screamed over and over, It's the blood of Satan. A passerby approached and recognised the man as a local father, 31-year-old Michael Taylor. PC Walker radioed for help, and as Taylor was escorted into a police vehicle, the constable became extremely worried as to whose blood it was. The passerby knew where Michael Taylor lived, and within minutes PC Walker was pulling up to the family home. By the time he arrived, the local police sergeant was waiting already outside as the detective inspector exited the house. Grabbing his handkerchief, the inspector began to dry heave, failing to get any words out. What had occurred inside defied belief, and the sergeant refused the young police constable access to the scene. It would not be long, however, before PC Walker would learn exactly what had happened. My name's Benjamin Fitton from They Walk Among Us. Welcome to Murder Town, the podcast. Following each episode of Crime and Investigation's brand new true crime TV series, we'll explore another case right here. In the house lay the unrecognisable body of Michael Taylor's wife, Christine. 
There was so much blood and so much mess it was impossible to see what her injuries were, but they would later determine that her eyes and tongue had been gouged out and her face almost ripped off. With Christine's blood smeared all over Michael's naked body, there was no doubt in their minds who the culprit was. Police had also found one other victim in the household. The family's poodle had also been slaughtered, its limbs ripped apart. The three officers searched the house and the garden for a weapon, but nothing could be found. At the police station, Inspector Smith questioned Michael Taylor. He asked him how he was feeling after his wife's death, and Taylor replied, I am relaxed. It is done. It is done. Taylor was then asked if he understood why he was at the police station, and he answered, Yes, but there is nothing you can do. What had to be done has been done. The evil in her has been destroyed. Yes, my wife. My love. Oh, how I love that woman. When Michael Taylor was asked if he had killed his wife, he said he had not killed her, he loved her. What he had done was to destroy the evil within her. He admitted there was not a weapon. He attacked his wife and dog with his bare hands. Michael was displaying no vindictiveness towards Christine. He truly believed she was possessed by evil and he was compelled to rid her of that evil. He believed it had been placed within her by their church fellowship group. As the Taylors' lives were examined, it appeared they had been a happy, loving couple with a happy household. 31-year-old Michael and 29-year-old Christine had five sons, and when neighbours spoke up, they described laughing and joking often being heard from the house. Michael was a former butcher, and before that had been a farm labourer, but his back injury had meant that for the past year he had been unable to hold down a job. He had taken a role as a trainee male nurse, but the strain on his back was too much. Everyone saw him as friendly and mild-mannered. He was known to have periods of what doctors described as mild depression, spurred on by his chronic pain and lack of success providing for his family. But there had been no serious long-term issues. His doctor had no record of any signs of altered mental state and saw Michael as a stable, intelligent and hard-working man. But life in the weeks leading up to the murder had become very different, very quickly. Up until three months before the murder, the family had never shown any interest in religion and had shied away from their local church services. They described the whole thing as daunting, and not for them. But all that changed when in July, the Taylors were introduced by a friend to a church meeting group called the Christian Fellowship, a small Anglican group run by 22-year-old Marie Robinson. They met regularly in the homes of group members to support each other, drink coffee, eat sandwiches and sing hymns as Marie played guitar. The Taylors began attending meetings and Michael in particular became enamoured with the young preacher Marie who was living nearby. He was soon spending a lot of time with her and he became fixated on some of her ideas. It wasn't just songs and sandwiches that the group was introducing to the Taylors. They began doing things that were not seen as their job by the church. Marie began giving communion, which not being ordained, she should never practice. And besides that, the group started attempting to cleanse other members of evil spirits. 
to address problems in their lives, Marie and the group were using what they described as the power of God to cleanse a person of demons, more commonly known as an exorcism. Although exorcism is the term used, churches who perform the rituals prefer to use the name deliverance ministry, and rather than be conducted in the lounge rooms of splinter church meeting groups, officials would perform exorcisms in controlled environments with a fairly strict process. Although unusual, deliverance ministry was not as rare as you would think. What was rare, however, was these backyard-style exorcisms, rituals where members would sometimes engage in all-night ceremonies, speaking in tongues, and often physically and mentally pushing the person to the edge of their limits. In the two weeks leading up to Christine's murder, Michael's activity within the group increased, and he and Marie had begun practicing their own private rituals. One had been held in early October where they stayed up all night making the sign of the cross at each other in order to ward off the evil power of the full moon. He had begun himself speaking in tongues and acting out of character when he wasn't even attending a ritual. Another evening that followed shortly after the tailor's home, Michael and the young preacher kissed while Christine was out of the room. As Christine walked back in, Marie, who had pushed Michael away by then, said, We have won a great victory for the Lord. A miracle has happened. We have both overcome our passions. Both Michael and Marie said that although they were fully clothed in their minds, they had appeared naked to each other. Christine wasn't happy. She had watched her husband withdraw from the family in this short amount of time, becoming irritable and angry. She felt that the group was changing him. At a meeting, Christine stood up in front of the others, asking Michael if he was being unfaithful with Marie. He went crazy, verbally abusing her and then began yelling at Marie. He was screaming so intensely at her that others in the group had to physically restrain him. According to Marie, she said, When I looked at him, his whole features changed. He looked almost bestial. He kept looking at me and there was a really wild look in his eyes. I started screaming at him out of fear. I started speaking in tongues. Michael also screamed at me in tongues. I was on the verge of death, and I seemed to come to my senses. I knew that only the name of Jesus would save me, and I just started saying over and over again, Jesus. When Christine heard me calling on the name of Jesus, she started saying it too, and I believe firmly that it was only by calling on his name that I was not killed. All Michael knew of what had happened was when he said, she seduced me with her eyes. I can still see those eyes. I saw her standing naked before me and I was naked. She turned and her eyes became slits and I felt the evil within me. But I fought it. Oh, how I fought it. But it overcame me. Following the incident, he had no recollection of what had happened. He was scared and became convinced that his body had been taken over by evil. The group agreed. Michael was possessed by demons, and they decided that his only option was to perform an exorcism. The group came together and gave him full forgiveness for what had occurred, and kept a close eye on him over the coming days, as he began telling people that evil spirits may have possessed him. The group suggested that he and Christine meet with deliverance expert, the Reverend Peter Vincent, the parish priest of St. Thomas's Church in Barnsley. 
The Reverend agreed he would lead the group in exercising what they described as at least 40 demons from Michael Taylor. And it would occur that Saturday at midnight inside his church in Barnsley. As midnight approached that Saturday night, a member of the fellowship group drove Michael and Christine Taylor and their five sons to St Thomas's Anglican Church. The boys were told they would be staying the night upstairs in the vicarage. In the room next door to the boys, they performed an exorcism on Christine. Hers would pale in comparison to her husband's, which was all set to be carried out in the church vestry. She would undertake a brief ritual and then join the group for Michael's. Two ministers were waiting for them when they arrived at St Thomas's. Parish priest, Father Peter Vincent, and Methodist minister, Reverend Raymond Smith, joined by both their wives. Seven people, including members of the fellowship group, were ready. Shortly after the exorcism began, Michael began biting, scratching and spitting in between convulsions. They then placed him on praying cushions on the floor and restrained him. Over the eight hours that followed, Michael was forced to confess his sins as he was doused with holy water and had a crucifix repeatedly shoved in his mouth. The group spoke in tongues dancing around him as his breathing grew increasingly heavier, causing him to hyperventilate. As they danced and chanted closer and closer to him, he attempted to break free and attack them. Michael's wooden cross, which the group believed was tainted with the devil, was burnt in front of him. By 8am, the priests believed they had dragged out almost all the demons, some being representatives of blasphemy, bestiality, incest, carnal knowledge, hearsay, lewdness and masochism. But they had not completed the exorcism, saying later that it was the demons of violence, insanity and murder that were so stubborn they were still within him. The tailors and their children were sent home, told to rest and come back that evening to complete the extraction. Margaret Smith, the wife of one of the ministers who performed the exorcism, claimed that as the men were telling Michael to go home and to postpone the exorcism, she received a warning in her mind which she believed to be from God. The message was that the demon of murder would escape Michael's body and kill Christine. She said she begged her husband and the others to complete the ritual, but they refused. In reality, this comment may have been told within earshot of Michael, and in his already disturbed state, may have influenced his decision he would make in the following couple of hours. It was two hours after Michael and Christine left St Thomas's in Barnsley that PC Ian Walker found Michael naked covered in the blood of his wife, having mutilated the mother of his five children with his bare hands. The children were not home. A neighbour told police that earlier that morning he had heard what he thought were pots being tipped over at the tailors. About half an hour later, he saw Michael exit the house naked apart from thermal stockings. The two men looked at each other and Michael said, I rebuke thee in the name of Satan. The small tight-knit community was shocked at the rumours, wondering whether they were even true. What they were hearing was so gruesome, it was too hard to believe it could even be possible. Then when the news headlines hit, the whole town was faced with having to come to terms with someone from their community, someone who was well-liked and seen as calm in their eyes, being capable of something so shocking. Still to this day, Ossid to some of the lowest recorded crime rates in Yorkshire. 
It was not ready for the press that would descend and the name that would be associated with their once peaceful town. Christine's murder also opened up the churches to criticism and public scrutiny. Rituals being carried out in private were being splashed across the news. An unveiling of a world of backyard exorcisms was opened up. It wasn't illegal. It was still practiced and an accepted form of healing amongst a number of religions. But after the murder of Christine Taylor, a debate erupted about its validity in modern England, with many calling for it to be banned altogether. At the time, the official advisor to the Bishop of London and one of the leading experts on the subject described these backyard exorcisms as extremely dangerous. Groups performing them were criticised for not knowing what they were doing and risking further serious damage both physically and mentally. At the time, the view of the Anglican Church was that they accepted exorcism as a legitimate job of some of its priests, but there should be no all-night ritual, no breaking down a person's mental state until they are physically and mentally drained. To the official advisor, an exorcism should be a relatively simple procedure of around 10 minutes. He also stated that quantifying the number of demons a person had and naming them was not in line with official thought or practices. This group had gone off and performed a ritual that was unlike anything he had experienced. The Bishop of Wakefield began an inquiry comprising of ten men looking into the practices of exorcism within the church. The Taylor murder, which he referred to as the Satan killing, spurred a 12-month investigation and resulted in exorcisms being banned in the Wakefield Diocese. He believed that the priests who had performed the exorcism that night acted with the best intentions no matter how unwise the decision was, and that although they did not have the specific authority to practice exorcisms, they felt it was a regular part of their role when the need arose. The bishop believed there had been a rise in what he described as the charismatic movement, separatists who saw themselves as higher spiritually and more elitist. These were the groups he did not support or agree with. The trial began six months after the murder. The jury was informed by prosecution barrister Mr Geoffrey Baker QC that what they would hear would make it difficult to believe they were not back in the Middle Ages. He then went on to say, I am aware that it is generally regarded as improper for an advocate to express any personal feeling or opinion about the case in which he is engaged. I am afraid I find it quite impossible to observe such constraints in this case. Let those who truly are responsible for this killing stand up. We submit that Taylor is a mere cipher. The real guilt lies elsewhere. When Reverend Vincent, who led the exorcism, was questioned on the stand, he was adamant that Michael Taylor had been taken over by demons and that the exorcism was his only chance of ridding him of the forces, saying, I am quite convinced God will bring good out of this in his own way, however tragic it was at the time. And Reverend Smith stated, If the psychiatrist said this crime would not have been committed but for the exorcism, this seems a rather strange thing to say. People will draw on their own conclusions. It was believed that the small group whom the Taylors had joined was regarded as a splinter group and therefore not following the overall approved practices of the church. According to Dr Patrick McGrath, the superintendent of Broadmoor Hospital where Taylor was immediately sent following the murder, the only way to describe what had happened to Michael Taylor in the lead-up to the murder was brainwashing. 
Michael had subsequently been diagnosed with schizophrenia. It was put to the court that the church group had behaved like a cult, overwhelming him with brainwashing and in turn exacerbating any underlying mental issue. The exorcism beat him down, creating a sleep-deprived monster capable of murder. Michael Taylor testified stating he had no recollection of the actual killing and that he believed he had been under the control of demonic forces. He described believing that Christine had also been possessed by demons and his actions were to release these evil spirits. Michael Taylor was described as a sensible family man who was suddenly exposed to intense spiritual influences and became either bewitched or demented. There was one person whom the waiting press and crowds were waiting to catch a glimpse of, Marie Robinson, the preacher and organiser of the meeting group. Marie had moved back to her parents soon after the murder. She had denied any responsibility in breaking down Michael Taylor's mental state. When her father spoke to the press, he denied her involvement in the strange religious teachings. And when she took the stand, the 29-year-old looked like a young girl, afraid of the consequences of her actions. She said, In retrospect, I know it was wrong to perform exorcism. I started shaking. In me... This means the Holy Spirit is active and that his power wants to be used. I thought then, if only I could use this power for Michael. He had a bad back, was out of work, and I wanted to help him. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. 
That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Michael was declared criminally insane and found not guilty of Christine's murder by reason of insanity. Christine's death was ruled death by misadventure. He was detained at Broadmoor Secure Hospital for the criminally insane. Taylor was placed on internal parole, which gave him freedom within the hospital grounds rather than be confined. A psychiatrist who examined him believed that at the time of the murder, Michael had been in a trance, a hypnotic or dissociated state which was connected to the exorcism. His hyperventilation during the event may have also reduced his awareness of reality and caused a lack of control of his behaviour. Michael Taylor remained in the hospital for two years before being transitioned to the Bradford Royal Infirmary for a further two-year sentence. After four years of treatment, at 35, he was declared legally and clinically sane and released. Although over time, suffering from serious depression, he continued in attempts to take his own life on numerous occasions. 25 years after Michael Taylor rejoined society, he was caught after twice indecently touching a young teenage girl. The judge was informed that while in jail awaiting his court hearing, symptoms similar to those which surfaced before his wife's murder had resurfaced, but once bail was granted, the symptoms strangely disappeared. During that trial, the judge decided that although he had been responsible for murdering his wife over 25 years earlier, it had no bearing on the current case and so the details of those charges would be deemed inadmissible in court. After pleading guilty to the two charges of sexual assault, he then proceeded to ask the judge if he would be sent to Broadmoor for murdering his wife. It was decided that his behaviour towards the young girl was not deemed predatory, and because he showed a low to medium risk of reoffending, as well as his lack of any previous convictions of sexually related crimes, he would not be jailed. The judge stated that he had decided that the public interest is better served by making Taylor the subject of a three-year community rehabilitation order with three years of psychiatric treatment as opposed to prison time or further time in a mental health facility. This case caused massive controversy concerning the role of exorcism in modern society. In the Church of England, Deliverance cases must now first be referred to a panel, including a medical psychiatrist, and the Taylor exorcism remains the last acknowledged instance in the Anglican Church. In 1975, after the murder of Christine Taylor, Archbishop Donald Coggan issued guidelines for exorcisms within the Church of England, guidelines which remain almost identical today. I'm Catherine Kelly, host of Crime and Investigation's brand new true crime TV series, Murder Town. Join me next Monday at 9pm in my visit to Pontypreeth, the murder capital of Wales. The volume of crimes in recent years has given it this title. For more information on the series, head to crimeandinvestigation.co.uk and let us know your thoughts by searching for Crime and Investigation on social media or using hashtag MurderTown. The Murder Town podcast is hosted by Benjamin Fitton, written by Anna Priestland, produced by Sam Pearson and Chloe Frost, with editing by James Colopy. 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.